In this video, I'm going to introduce the concept of market efficiency and start a discussion about how efficient are the US markets in reality. This discussion is going to continue throughout the semester because there's actually a lot to talk about with market efficiency. Today is just going to be an introduction. Before we start talking about market efficiency, first we have to talk about uncertainty and risk. Risk is the result of not knowing now something that we find out at a later date. The arrival of information over time resolves uncertainty about the future. And new information as it arrives, it changes our beliefs about what's going to happen in the future. So if we think about the stock market at the moment, there's a lot of uncertainty about the economy. And as the government releases economic data, so the markets respond as people's beliefs are updated. Similarly, if we think about a stock, as a company announces its earnings, so the market participants update their beliefs about that company and the stock price changes. So changes in people's beliefs lead to changes in the prices of risky assets. Let's just have a simple example of what I mean about uncertainty and the resolution of uncertainty or risk. Suppose we're going to toss a coin twice in succession. There are four possible outcomes or events. The first is that we toss heads both times. The second outcome is that we toss heads then tails. Or we do tails then heads. Or tails and tails again. Now suppose we toss the coin one time and it comes up heads so we've thrown heads we can now rule out two of the options that were in the original space here any option that begins with a tail being thrown first is ruled out so by tossing the coin once we've reduced our uncertainty we've narrowed down the state space as to what the possible outcomes can be. So we're now left with just two outcomes. If we toss the coin again, then all the uncertainty is going to be resolved. Suppose we throw tails. So we throw, first of all, we throw heads, then we throw tails. We can now eliminate all the other options. So that's how new information can affect our beliefs and that's how we resolve uncertainty in practice. We see the same things with economic data. Instead of having heads and tails, we might be thinking about the economy and recession or boom. And every time we see information, we're updating our beliefs about whether it's a recession or a boom. Now the nice thing about stock markets is that they aggregate information. Every market participant is going to have different views on what the data is telling them. And what the market does is it puts all that information together to form a weighted average of investors' views. In an efficient market, all relevant available information is reflected in the current price of the stocks. Market efficiency matters because prices often serve as a signal for the allocation of capital. 
But the big question is, what, what information is relevant? Fama, in 1970, distinguished three different forms of market efficiency. Weak form market efficiency occurs when no investor can earn abnormal returns using information contained in past prices or past returns. Semi-strong form market efficiency occurs if no investor can earn abnormal returns using any publicly available information. So not just past prices or returns, but maybe data that are in the accounts of a company. Finally, we have strong form market efficiency. And here, no investor can earn abnormal returns using any information, regardless of whether that information is publicly available or not. In other words, inside investors, such as CEOs of companies, cannot make money using inside information. Often you hear finance practitioners talking about random walks in the concept of market efficiency. Well, what is a random walk? A random walk just means that you can't predict what's going to happen next for a stock price. It's random. So the price tomorrow, so the price tomorrow at or t plus 1, is equal to the price today plus a random error term that's independent and identically distributed. In other words, we can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow. Sometimes you hear about random walks with drift. Here, the price tomorrow is going to be equal to the price today, plus what they call a drift component, plus the random error term. Why would asset prices be modelled as a random walk with a positive drift term? Well, let's think back to market efficiency. Market efficiency implies that prices reflect all the currently available information. If that's the case, then as new information hits, prices will adjust. But we can't predict what new information is going to be released. Because we don't know, we can't predict the future. The future is random. So, as a result, we might think that stocks would be modelled using a random walk. We don't know what information is going to come out about a company or about a market. We have to wait and see. Now, why would we think about a random walk with drift as a good model for stock prices? Well, when you buy a stock, you take on a lot of risk. The stock price could go up, but it could go down. And typically, most investors want to be compensated for that risk. So the more risk you bear, the more compensation you require. If stock prices follow a random walk, then the expected price tomorrow is going to be equal to the price today plus the expected random error term, which we know is news. The expected random error term is equal to zero. We could get good news or bad news. We're not sure. On average, the error term is zero. So according to just a random walk, the expected price 
tomorrow is the price today. But that doesn't make much sense if you think that investors require compensation for bearing risk. That's where the drift term comes in. So suppose the drift term, which is mu, is positive. Then we would have the expected price tomorrow is going to be equal to the price today plus this drift term mu plus the expected error term which we know is zero so we can cross that out. Now let's move on to look at the US market in reality. Lots of people have been studying market efficiency in US stock markets really since the 1960s onwards. The first type of tests that people looked at were economic tests of market efficiency by which I mean we looked at filter rules or technical trading strategies. A filter rule would be to say if the stock goes up by 1% then buy it and don't sell it until the stock goes down by 1%. And we'd examine this trading strategy and see if it made money. There was also technical trading which may be based on patterns in past prices. So if you observe this pattern you should buy or sell. Well Alexander in 1961 and then Farmer and Bloom in 1966 they analyzed a lot of different investment strategies based on either filter rules or technical trading and they found that some of the strategies might have made money but certainly not after you accounted for the transaction costs. And you remember we've been talking about transaction costs in the previous few lectures. These days, I think that the general view of professional money managers is that you don't use technical trading strategies as the main way to earn profits or returns. But you may use technical trading strategies to determine when to enter or exit a market. So they are not used as the main way for money managers to earn money. More recently, studies have started to look at something called momentum. Momentum is a phenomenon whereby past winners tend to outperform past losers over the next 3 to 12 months. A winner would be a stock that has had high past returns. A loser would be a stock that's had low past returns over the last year or six months. So the past winners tend to outperform the past losers. Which form of market efficiency does this violate? Well it violates weak form efficiency. The momentum strategy and phenomenon suggests that markets aren't weak form efficient. However there is some question about this momentum strategy. To earn returns from this strategy you need to be investing in lots of stocks and every month you're going to have to change the stocks that you've invested in. So there are lots of transaction costs associated with with this strategy. At the moment it's unclear as to whether you can actually make economic profits purely trading on momentum. Another anomaly that's been uncovered is called the value premium and in this anomaly if you buy what they call value stocks, these are high, these are stocks with a high book to market ratio, so the book value is high relative to the market value of the firm, and at the same time you short sell 
Growth stocks, these are firms where the book value is low relative to the market value. Then this trading strategy earns abnormal returns. Now which form of market efficiency does this violate? Well, it's not weak form efficiency because this strategy is not based on past returns or patterns in past prices. This is based on information in the accounts of a company. So this would be a violation of semi-strong form efficiency. Now some people argue that these findings are proof that markets aren't efficient. Other people would argue that we've all been analysing stock market data for 40 years and we've only found a couple of anomalies that can't be explained. Therefore, markets are probably pretty efficient and everything's going well. Well, now let's take a different perspective. Let's see how people think about market efficiency. So here's the question. Can you beat the market or not? If markets are inefficient, you should be able to beat the market. If markets are efficient and all information is reflected in the prices, then it's going to be very difficult to beat the market. Well, here's Merton Miller's view. And Merton Miller is a Nobel laureate and a professor at the University of Chicago. And he says that if there's 10,000 people looking at the stocks and trying to pick winners, one in 10,000 is going to score, by chance alone, a great coup. And that's all that's going on. It's a game. It's a chance operation. And people think they're doing something purposeful, but really they're not. So Merton Miller is clearly siding with market efficiency. He's suggesting it's just chance. If someone beats the market, it's, it's purely luck. It's nothing to do with skill because stock prices reflect all the available information. You might argue that's an academic view. So let's look at what traders think. So Peter Lynch, who's a fund manager or was a fund manager, he said that most investors would actually be better off investing in an index fund. In other words, just buy and hold the market portfolio. Don't try and beat the market because it's not possible. And Warren Buffett, who's also a fund manager, said that the best way to own common stocks is through an index fund. Again, this is just buying and holding the market portfolio. Robert Stovall, who's also an investment manager, said it's just not true that you can't beat the market. Every year, about one third of fund managers do it. Of course, each year, it's a different group of managers. And in fact, what he means is that one third of managers beat the market. One third of managers matches the market and about one third of managers loses relative to the market. And every year these groups change around. In other words, no managers are consistently beating the market. It seems to be luck as to whether you beat the market or not. So these established investors are all suggesting that the best thing to do is to buy and hold the market index and that it's difficult to beat the market. But let's look at Peter Lynch, who said that you should just buy and hold the market index. Peter Lynch actually managed the Fidelity Magdalene Fund from 1977 to 1990. During this time, the assets under management in that fund grew from $20 million to about $14 billion. Peter Lynch beat the S&P 500 index in 11 of those 13 years, and his average return each year was 29%. So this is a man who beat the market consistently. 
And he has some other quotes saying that if you stay half alert, you can pick spectacular performers right from your place of business or out in the neighbourhood shopping mall, way before Wall Street discovers these firms. He also had an interesting view on how long you should be looking at when you buy a stock. He said that absent a lot of surprises, stocks are relatively predictable over 20 years. As to whether they're going to be higher or lower in two or three years, you may as well flip a coin to decide. In other words, in the short run, he's saying it's very, very difficult to predict which stocks will do well. It's a bit easier if you take a longer horizon and look over 10 or 20 years. What about Warren Buffett? Well, Warren Buffett is the manager of Berkshire Hathaway or the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway. And investors who invested $10,000 in his company in 1965 are worth well over the $50 million mark today. He again has beaten the market consistently over the last 40 years. So what's his view? Well, he views that his view is that shares are not mere pieces of paper. They, are, they represent part ownership of a business. So when you're thinking about making an investment, think like a prospective owner. And in addition, and here's what's interesting, he says, if when making a stock investment, you're not considering holding it, at least 10 years, then don't waste more than 10 minutes considering it. This is very similar to what Peter Lynch was saying. So both these guys who beat the market consistently are saying, when you're making your stock investments, make sure you're thinking about 10 or 20 years. So we've now seen several perspectives. Peter Lynch and Warren Buffett have both beaten the market consistently. This, you may start thinking, is evidence that markets can't be efficient. These guys have succeeded. But we can't think of many investors who have consistently succeeded. Here we've named two of the most famous. It's tough to think of another 15 investors who have done the same thing consistently for 10 or 20 years. So let me throw out an alternative to the idea that markets are inefficient just because Peter Lynch and Warren Buffett can beat the market. Could it just be luck? Could it just be random luck? So suppose we start with 10,000 investment managers and each manager has a 50% chance of making $10,000 each year and a 50% chance of losing $10,000 each year. It's just luck. 50-50 chance as to whether you win or lose. Now we're going to add an extra layer to this model. If a manager ever loses money, they get fired and they stop being investment managers. So how many managers would we expect to see making money for one year? Well, the answer would be we have 10,000 managers and there is a 50% chance that they make $10,000. So we would expect 5,000 managers to make money for one year. But what about over 10 years? How many managers do we expect to make money for 10 years? Well, now we've got to think, we start with our 10,000 managers and they have to make money in the first year and the second year and the third year, all the way up to the 10th year. So 0.5 to the power 10. That gives me 9.77. So approximately 10 investors or 10 managers would make money consistently for 10 years. 
That's what we'd expect to observe, if we just had random luck. Well, that's not far from reality. Our assumptions in this simple example are that if managers ever lose money, they get fired. In other words, if you don't beat the market, you're fired. In reality, that's not true. Peter Lynch, Warren Buffett, they didn't beat the market every year. They just beat it most years. So could it just be luck? Yeah, it could be. These two investors may just be lucky. But this is where there's a lot of debate. And this is what we're going to talk about throughout the semester. Overall, I would think that the markets in the US are probably close to semi-strong form efficient. But this doesn't mean that all stocks are correctly priced all the time. Some stocks may be underpriced, some may be overpriced, and others correctly priced. But on average, stocks are going to be correctly priced. There is a lot of evidence that insiders can and do make money using private information, so markets are clearly not strong form efficient. An alternative view of the market is that it may be highly inefficient and driven by behavioural biases or animal instincts, such as overconfidence. In this situation, it would still be very difficult to beat the market because it would be very hard to tell which bias is dominating for which stock. But we're going to talk about this view later in the semester and we're going to continue this discussion. That's all I wanted to talk about today. See you in class.